Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandma'sCatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomeen Ujia-Dean. Today is Tuesday, January 11th. Coming up, transgender people in Kansas prisons say they're not getting the medical treatment they need, and they're at risk of being sexually assaulted. We'll hear from former and current transgender inmates about their experiences. But first, some headlines. The Jackson County Courthouse will delay in-person trials for two weeks after COVID-19 cases increased among court staff and detainees. As KCUR's Lisa Rodriguez reports, hospitals are also sending workers homesick. According to the Jackson County Court, COVID-19 cases have surged among court staff and families and detainees of the Jackson County Detention Center. The court plans to resume jury trials the week of January 24th. Hospitals are also struggling with staff shortages. At Children's Mercy, 250 staff members are confirmed positive and under home isolation. Advent Health Shawnee Mission says 110 staff members are infected and at home. Hospitalizations have also spiked across the metro. The University of Kansas Health System says the hospital has 162 total COVID patients, surpassing the previous record set in December 2020. The Jackson County Legislature is considering restoring some power to its health department as COVID-19 worsens in the region. KCUR's Carlos Moreno reports. Jackson County Legislator Crystal Williams says her ordinance would empower the health department to, quote, promote and protect public health. Williams says that the county's ability to deal with communicable diseases has been decimated by a November ruling from a Cole County judge, which nullified many local health orders. Williams has received some pushback on the ordinance, but argues it just codifies some of the health department's long-standing functions, such as enforcing mandates and quarantines. Nothing that we're discussing is new. The idea that public health is scandalous is apparently new. The ordinance now moves to the Health and Environment Committee, which meets next week. Junction City in northeast Kansas is losing its intensive care unit at a time when Kansas hospitals are struggling to accommodate all the COVID patients who need beds. Geary Community Hospital was losing money on its six-bed ICU even before the pandemic. Now it's harder to find staff, and the costs of running the ICU are even higher. LJ Baker heads human resources at the hospital. We have nurses that range from 160 to almost $200 an hour. And for a small rural hospital, it's almost impossible to pay those kinds of fees for an extended period of time. Kansas hospitals are caring for more than 1,000 COVID patients right now. Transgender people in Kansas prisons say the system has put them in danger by failing to recognize their gender identities. They say their treatment inside prisons has made them vulnerable to violence and suicide attempts. Blaze Mesa of the Kansas News Service reports. Rain Bennett is sitting in a park in McClough in northeast Kansas with a folder overflowing with papers from her time in state prison. I was even able to find the journal that I'd wrote on the day that I reported everything and my rape. These papers are years of medical documents, complaint forms, and other things related to her time as an inmate in the Kansas Department of Corrections. And Bennett is transgender. She says being transgender made her a target for multiple assaults and that the department discriminated against her because of her gender identity. 
She served two sentences in men's prisons, one before her gender transition and the other afterwards. She says she was treated completely differently. It was disgusting because it was like I was there for their own amusement. Like, I couldn't even begin to expand on that thought other than stark contrast that that's like, you know, apples and oranges. I found three transgender inmates still in Kansas prisons and two others on the outside. They told me the state makes a little accommodation for gender identity, discriminates against them, and denies medical care. Prison workers insisted on treating them as the gender they'd transitioned from, and in one case did next to nothing when they reported being raped. Bennett, for instance, says the department lowered her doses of hormone therapy and refused to give her the same gender identity diagnosis she received from other doctors. Prison medical staff instead told her she wasn't transgender at all. Emily Feingold used to work as a therapist for a private contractor in Topeka's women's prison. She says inmates struggled for proper medical diagnoses because she wasn't allowed to give them. But I was not allowed to enter that diagnosis of all diagnoses. I was not allowed to do that. The person would have to be set up with a clinical psychologist to come in and do an extensive, just lifelong, you know, really, really intense interview with this person. Feingold says this isn't how that diagnosis would work outside of prison. She remembers three times when the specialist didn't diagnose someone despite them fitting the criteria. Kreisen Health provided medical services during the time Bennett says she was diagnosed incorrectly. The company denied any wrongdoing. It said it is policy to diagnose gender identity properly, and employees who didn't would be subject to discipline. But Bennett says that didn't happen. The Kansas Department of Corrections didn't respond to questions about the allegations. It did say it will use complaints to better inform policy in the future. Other current and former inmates say they have complained for years, but nothing has happened. Tradessa Donnell has told staff multiple times to call him Mr. Donnell, but they refused to do so. He said he could be in trouble if he speaks up. Well, this is a woman's facility, so I'm going to call you ma'am or miss. And I'll be like, I can't say nothing. I'm going to get consequences if I say something or try to stand up for myself. Donnell has also struggled to get male-oriented hygiene products like a masculine-smelling soap. Inmates have few options, and products sold inside prisons can be expensive. The prison held a fundraiser to get hygiene products for inmates, but Donnell said all the products were for females. We asked him, can we get... A male product, a male body wash, a male deodorant. We like, can we get one thing? They were like, no, this is a woman's facility. Rodrigo Hanglington, with the National Center for Transgender Equality, says those issues may not seem serious, but they lead to higher rates of depression in trans inmates. You could take the word transgender out of the equation, and that can help see how simple this really can be. You know, we know how to treat people right. We know how to keep people safe. We know how to respect each other. Trans inmates have filed lawsuits from Baltimore to California. Those allegations mirror complaints found in Kansas, and lawsuits could be on the horizon. For the Kansas News Service, I'm Blaze Mesa in Topeka. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Blaze Mesa reported the story you just heard. He covers criminal justice and other topics for the Kansas News Service. And he's joining me over Zoom to talk about what didn't make it into his story. Hey, Blaze. Hey, Nomi. So for the version of your story that you wrote for our website, kcur.org, you interviewed a couple of trans people who said that their experiences in Kansas prisons hadn't been all that bad. What did they say? So I spoke with about six total trans inmates, and really only one of them didn't have too many issues. They acknowledged there were some problems, but nothing that rose to the level that anyone else dealt with. 
Uh, for example, staff would ask them how they're doing. Are they comfortable with their roommates? They had pretty easy access to uh, underwear or other products that fit their gender. So there were some accommodations made. They said it wasn't perfect overall, but it could have been much worse and much worse compared to what other trans inmates told me. And when was this person in prison? So this person is actually still in prison. They are a trans woman in the Winfield Correctional Facility, which is a men's facility. Uh, Of all the people I spoke with, uh, most of them were still incarcerated, uh, but only two had actually been on the outside and have gotten out since. And you spoke with somebody who got the Department of Corrections to pay for their top surgery, which is the removal of breast tissue, right? Yes, they were able to get some gender affirming surgery. How common is it for prison systems to pay for gender affirming surgery for people? Well, it's not super common, at least in Kansas prisons. I don't think it's happened too often. Of all the people I spoke with, they're the only person who was actually able to get it done. They did have the benefit of being in prison for a few decades, and they got their surgery, I think, two or three days before they were actually released. Although the only reason they think they got any type of surgery paid for is because they had so many complaints that if the prison didn't pay for their surgery, they would deal with some type of backlash otherwise. And part of the reason it's not super easy to get top surgery, as the story alludes to, is uh, trans inmates are struggling to get the proper diagnosis for really services in general, uh, specifically gender dysphoria. So what is gender dysphoria? So gender dysphoria is when people don't believe that they are the same gender they were born at at birth. Like they are distressed, to, they, they think they're something different. They perceive themselves to be something else. Um, there are varying levels of gender dysphoria and it isn't the same as saying that someone's transgender. You can be diagnosed with gender dysphoria but not identify as trans. So it, there, there's, it, it's a little bit of the weeds like that but that's quickly what gender dysphoria is like. So what do trans people say about how they should be treated in prison? What does respectful treatment look like and and what kind of medical care do they want access to? Trans people and some of the advocates I spoke to said this would be really a really simple conversation if you just took the word transgender out of the equation. Uh, For example, uh, Rain Bennett, who was one of the main sources in the story, um, wanted to be called by her her name. Her name is Rain. She no longer identifies with the name she was given legally. Um, But prison staff would always call her that name. I'm not going to mention it now on the podcast, but they would continue to call her that name. And it just never made sense to her. And if we were taking the word transgender out of the equation, it would be really weird to call someone by a completely different name. They wanted access to products that fit their gender identity. If you're a man in a woman's prison or vice versa, it can be hard to get the soap or the underwear that match your gender. For example, if you identify as a woman and you're wearing masculine smelling soap, that can kind of get... I guess uncomfortable or just frustrating after a while. Rain Bennett probably explained this better than I could have. It, it feels good to go ahead and, and, and be able to dress in the morning, but how would you feel, flip this around for a minute, if you had to wear as a male, had to, not by choice, dressing female and smelling like a female, looking like a female, I'm pretty sure you feel pretty uncomfortable after a while. You know, a day or two and you'd be able to man it through, but after a while, you feeling pretty uncomfortable. Some of the more serious complaints I heard was about just inability to access medical care. So when Rain was arrested and brought back to prison, she would seek a, we'll call them a therapist. They had a probably a fancier title in prison, but that's essentially what they were, is they were a therapist. And she was hoping to get a diagnosis of gender dysphoria. As I said, you need the diagnosis to access really a variety of services, like if you want top surgery or any gender-affirming surgery, you'll probably need a diagnosis. 
But when they would go in to see that therapist, they would be told they weren't transgender at all. Essentially, what would happen is another specialist would get called in and they would find any reason to not diagnose anyone with gender dysphoria. And that could mean a whole host of things just didn't happen. Imagine if you broke your foot and you went to the doctor and they said, no, you didn't break your foot. You probably wouldn't be able to get a lot of things that you need to help you recover from breaking your foot. So how does Kansas compare with other states when it comes to its treatment of trans people in prison? Do you know? This operates mostly the same as other states, which is probably not good considering some of these allegations are, are pretty serious. That if all these states are doing what trans inmates allege, there may be a whole host of problems. But most states and most prison systems, again, do very similar to what Kansas did. There are a whole host of lawsuits from coast to coast um, with trans inmates alleging a variety of similar things that happen in Kansas prisons. Harassment, assaults, trying to get gender affirming surgery or being housed in the wrong prison. So while the inmates I spoke with said Kansas did a terrible job of treating trans inmates, Kansas does not act like this alone. So the Kansas Department of Corrections declined to answer questions or be interviewed for this story. How often does that happen? It's not uncommon to get no comment from the department. They did send an emailed statement, but I was hoping to talk a little bit more about what policies they do have in place to protect trans inmates, to treat trans inmates with respect. But I just didn't hear back from them. And that's not super uncommon. So how did you find the people that you interviewed? So Rain Bennett, one of the main sources in the story, actually reached out to me and told me all about her time in state prison. From there, I just started speaking with other inmates to see if they had heard of something similar, if maybe they themselves knew any trans inmates, but just asking anyone if they had heard anything similar. And unfortunately, it was kind of common to find someone who had heard of or knew of someone or had experienced these issues firsthand. What made you interested in covering the story? After speaking with Rain, it became kind of apparent that these are very serious allegations. If you think about not getting medical coverage, uh, not really having rapes investigated properly, those are very serious allegations. And then in just past reporting I've done, I know misgendering or targeting of trans people is also kind of common. And it's kind of a big issue. As the story mentioned before, a handful of trans inmates had contemplated suicide or even attempted suicide because the experience in Kansas prisons was just so bad. Now, there is obviously transphobia and people who don't like trans inmates inside and outside of prison. But the overwhelming response I got was that it was worse in Kansas prisons than it was outside of Kansas prisons. Blaze Mesa is a reporter covering criminal justice for the Kansas News Service, which is based here at KCUR. Thank you, Blaze. Thanks, Amin. The Kansas News Service reports on health, the many factors that influence it, and their connection to public policy. Find more at ksnewsservice.org. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast was produced by Byron Love and Trevor Grandin and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. You can read Blaze's story about the transgender prison experience in Kansas on KCUR.org. As always, you can catch Kansas City's NPR station on the radio at 89.3 FM. If you like our show, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast app or leave us a voicemail at 816-235-8930 with your thoughts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.